Anybody upset that we moved past Job today? Okay with that? I think Job is an interesting book for many reasons, one of which I think you go through the stages of grief with Job. You know, when you think about, I mean, I think sometimes when we finish, when you read Job like we've read it, and you finish uh, you finish it, you almost end the book, not end the book, but towards the end of the book, you get tired of Job. You get tired of, and I'm not talking about the book, I'm talking about him. You get tired, you know, complaining, and you almost begin to think, man, he's self-righteous. I mean, he's look at all his, what he's acclaiming and all this kind of stuff. And we'll talk about some of that, I'm sure, in here. But you forget what the emotion that you felt when you read that first couple of chapters when he loses everything. And so it's a very emotional book. And I think, for me, Job is one of the most draining books to read. And part of the reason is because we, if we step back from it, can identify ourselves maybe not in the severity of the trial, but in the stages of the trial that Job goes through. So what questions do you have? The whole book of Job, we're covering all of it tonight and only tonight. What do you like, not like, find interesting, have questions about? Yeah, he was just a guy standing around, young guy. They all were, yeah. Some of the Job is one of those books that has caused people to say, with friends like that, who needs enemies, right? So it's just they weren't very helpful, were they? I think in some ways they were genuinely trying to be helpful. I don't think they went into it thinking we're going to really discourage him, but they didn't really encourage him. Yeah, I mean and that's one of the things we think. Well, just just be there. Well, they were just there, and then Job started this conversation with them, and you know, for us. It seems like, I mean, we read it over two weeks, and so we don't know how long officially all that conversation lasted. It could have been an afternoon. It could have been two or three days. It could have been, you know, but um, for us, it drug out for two weeks, and you say, just get tired of talking to each other, you know. But so let's review the story of Job. Why is Job in trouble? Satan wanted somebody to, to, but who authorized it? God, right? And so we know that as background. Job does not know that. It's like being let in on a secret at the beginning that you then watch as it tries to unravel. And God is intentionally not answering specific things because it is a test. Now, one of the interesting things that happens there is that you have Satan in a conversation with God after the fall in a heavenly realm somewhere. And so there's lots of discussion about all of that happening, but it's pretty apparent that what's happening there is Satan comes up and God is bragging on Job, right? By the way, you checked out Job? Man, he's doing good. He starts bragging on him. And Satan says, well, he ain't ever done anything to him. Well, go ahead, have at him. And so we see that as the backdrop. That's another part we almost forget as you get into all these discussions. So let me ask you a question. Out of Job, his friends, the three of them, and Elihu, who gave the best explanations? We got one vote for the young one. So not the friends. Yeah. Here's the thing. As American Christians, 
we have almost adopted this thing that if something goes wrong in your life, you must have done something to cause it to go wrong. Because everybody else is, we live in America, you know? And so you turn on the television and preachers are telling you, if you got enough faith, you won't lose your job, you won't have issues. Joel will tell you how good it will be in your life if you just trust. And Joyce will tell you that. And Anybody got any preachers they want me to get on? I mean, you, you just, you know what I'm talking I mean, and not, not that they don't say good things. And the truth is, if you, if you read what happens in Job, there are times when they do speak truth. And they talk about the greatness of God and God is who can be like God and no man can be perfect. It's just then they twist it a little bit and it's not biblical, which happens more than we would ever want to think it happens in our own lives, in our own churches, Sunday school classes, pulpits across America where we take a little bit of the truth. I, just to give you an example, I've had I've seen as I'm studying and researching and looking at things, People quote Job's friends from a passage that is not admirable and make it sound like that's the way we ought to react. They'll just put on there, you know, they just pull it out of context and you well, this is what this is what the Bible says. But it doesn't mean that it endorses what it says, right? And the truth is what you have is what you have in all of us in the midst of a situation like this. There's some good. There's some not good. There's some truth and some not. And so this is one of those cases when just because it's written in the Bible does not mean that it is admirable. Does that make sense? That's one of those dangerous statements that gets you a lot of trouble. Just because somebody in the Bible says it does not mean that that's what God would have us to necessarily think. Sometimes the negative example is used. Right? That's easy to understand when we're in the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve eat of the fruit they're not supposed to eat of. Well, they did that, but that didn't mean it was right them doing it. When you get into Job, it's sometimes harder to differentiate what's good and what's not. You're all just kind of looking at me. Does that make sense? Or, I mean, there were times when I found myself when his friends were talking, and I go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, not that, no. Oh, well, yeah, man. Uh, and there are times when Job was talking. I was like, there you go, Job. Go, oh, Job, why did you say that? that? You didn't need to say that. But I think what it shows, and what I love about the Bible is this, is that it writes from human, real emotion. It doesn't sugarcoat it and say, it didn't give you any answers. God does not comment on any of the friends or Job till the very end. And he doesn't give a detailed blow-by-blow account. When you said this, it was right. When you said this, it wasn't right. What does he say? Man, y'all didn't do good with Job. Y'all weren't good friends. Go sacrifice. Job will pray for you, and I'll accept it. But that was not good. And he's not real happy with Job, is he? At the end? Now, he says he didn't sin, and Job will say that. But I love how God just comes to him and says, All right, I got some questions for you. Are you ready? I want to tell you, there are some things in life I never want to hear. And God speaking to me and saying, I've got some questions for you. Are you ready? Is one of them. Right? That's not what I want to hear. Other questions? Just start there. Is that what you say? Let me look. Here's the thing. One of the people will use that verse to preach the prosperity gospel. See, Job persevered. He had enough faith, so he got all he wanted. That's not the point of the story there. 
Um, and we're in a real dangerous time in American culture when we have, I mentioned, lots of people preaching prosperity gospel, and then we've got lots of people preaching what my father-in-law has termed the poverty gospel. That the only way you can be righteous is to give everything away. And that either way, he says, on both sides, they're works-based. They're not grace-based, faith-based. He said, and so it's not in giving it all away or losing it all or having God give it all to you or being blessed. It's in being faithful and trusting in God. I saw an outline for the book of Job that said this. We often suffer. We sometimes understand. We can always trust. And I thought that's about as good as you can sum it up in nine words. We often struggle. We sometimes understand. We always trust. I guess it's we can always trust. That's ten words, but it doesn't make the symmetry good. So I think that's what's in there. Yeah, I, I love his response. When, when have you ever told the day when to start? Job, when, when you can do that, and he tells him, Job, when you can do that, then you can come question me, right? I mean, when you can determine where the mountains go, when you can cause your creation to tremble, then you come back and we'll have a conversation about this. And the point I think God is making there is not heavy-handed, just be quiet, Job. It's just, it goes back to chapter 1. There are things much deeper and greater and grander going on here than in your personal discomfort. Now, it was great discomfort. It was real discomfort. It doesn't mean it wasn't legitimate and that God didn't weep and care for Job. But it says, Job, you can't question my eternal existence and glory and goodness based on the events of the last six months. And I think there are times in our lives when we can't question God's glory and greatness and goodness based on what's happened in the last two months or two weeks or two days or two years. There's a lot of history there to kind of defend God. Wayne, you had a question or comment? Right. I mean, you get, you do get, what people often lose in God's questioning of Job is Job's repentance. Because you get God giving that whole thing, and then Job says, all right, I take it all back. God, I'm, I'm done. I don't have any, what, because God says, what do you have to say to this? He goes, I got nothing. I'm done. And so, and it says, you know, he, he cringes. Um, Job replied to the Lord in verse right before that. You ask, who is it obscures my counsel? I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful me. I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard. My eyes have seen. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes, right? And so, and what you see in Scripture is this, that there are moments throughout history when God, for a moment, will open up the the, uh, doors of heaven and would reveal a glimpse of his glory. And the response by everyone that sees even a glimpse of his glory is complete and utter desperation. And I am unworthy. I am unclean. I have nothing to say. I am broken before you. Right? I mean, you have uh, Isaiah. We'll get to Isaiah. Isaiah does that. You have here Moses comes out glowing because of what his just encounter with the Lord. I mean, it's just amazing to see what happens. And what, like you said, Wayne, if Job had not come to that place, then God's not going to kind of restore. And, and I think, 
and the reason I think that this is not a prosperity gospel paradigm is because it is a unique situation. I, I don't know how often in history we only have this recorded in an extended way that God and Satan have had a little contest with somebody. And there are lots of spiritual and theological ways you can describe it, but it was kind of like a little contest. My guy will stay firm. Satan says, no, he wasn't. Well, let's just see. Well, the word blessed does, yes. But you do have in the New Testament in James that every good and perfect gift comes from, from God. And so you still have that sense that all blessings come from the Lord. Now, the word blessed itself means something different, and it gets turned for us inside. Well, we don't seek material things because that's not what brings us real happiness. But if we have them, that's where they came from. So it, it is a little different for sure. Other questions? Those are pretty good, aren't they? Those are pretty good verses. He, in which, and this comes at the time when um, he is giving all the things that have happened to him and how terrible his life now is, but he still holds out hope in the midst of it. It reminds me of Psalm 73. Psalm 73, this had happened, this had happened, this had happened. I was despised. I was despaired. I was depressed. Nothing good was going on. And then I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. And I lifted my eyes, and then his whole countenance changed. And in these brief glimpses, you see why Job is still considered a righteous man, even though his complaining gets monotonous at times. is because in the midst of it, he still said, but I still trust. Even if he slays me, yet I will praise him. Even if he kills me, I will see him. I know my Redeemer lives. This is where, some of you know the Nicole C. Mullen song that's been on the radio for several years now, ten years now, I guess. Uh, she wrote it from that verse. Uh, and she, it's interesting because the song, if you think about the song, the song, the, the verses are from the last two chapters of Job. And then the chorus is from this. If you haven't heard that song, you ought to go look it up on YouTube or something. Redeemer, Nicole C. Mullen. Gary, do you have a question? Do I see that hand? What verse? 38? I think that's a sarcastic. It says, surely you know for you're already born. You have lived so many years. I think that's, again, God saying, listen, you've been around for 30 or 40 years. I've been around for eternity. Because he keeps saying to him, do you know where this is? Do you know where that is? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? I mean, surely you've been alive long enough to be able to control these things. It, and I, I'm not saying God is often sarcastic, but I, these questionings are questions all is obviously he's kind of ribbing Job a little bit, saying, Job, can you control the lightning? And so he says, what is the way of the abode of light? Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to the places? Do you know where they dwell? Surely you know. I mean, you've been born. You've lived so many years. You've got all the answers, Job. You've been questioning me. You know all that's wrong. Surely you know where the light is. Yeah, that the new living does it better there. It says you have lived so many years. That, that makes God even sound more sarcastic than the text intends for it to be. Is that what the... I'm looking at the NIV here. Is that what the new living says? Is that what you have, Gary? Yeah. They didn't do a good job there. I'll, I'll call them and tell them that. When God tells you to brace yourself, my only thing I can tell you to do is to brace yourself. Right? I mean, when the creator of the universe says, get ready, you got to get ready. Anybody worry about behemoth and leviathan? Yeah. 
It describes it very thoroughly here in Job. So, what does Leviathan sound like? It sounds like a dragon, doesn't it? Sea monster. I think I've told you this before, but many people think Job occurred in Genesis, sometime in Genesis 1 through 11. Okay? So that Job, Genesis 1 through 11 is what they call prehistory. Now, that doesn't mean it was before. It just means they don't know how to date it. Long time ago. And so Job would have been, depending on your theory of Genesis 1 and 2, you know, it would have been some of the earliest material in Scripture is the story of Job. And so for some, I mean, there are people that say, well, Leviathan then is like a, a dinosaur or creature that we don't know today. I, all I know is God basically said, takes the biggest and baddest animals he can describe and says, I carry him around on a leash. What do you do, Job? Right? We think as humans that we have tamed all these animals. We haven't really tamed them. We can put up other things to control them, but one-on-one, we're not very much of a match for different things. All right, anything else in the book of Job before we move to 2 Corinthians? Job 34. All right? Yeah. God has no need to examine men further that they should come before him in judgment. He's just basically saying that God can judge us whenever he wants to. He can determine. We're, God's not on our timetable. We're on God's timetable. The basic understanding of that, of what Elihu is saying there. And then you have to weigh how much do you like Elihu and how much you don't. The young one. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is that play. There are two. There are two questions I have about Job that I'll get to in a minute. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is when Job says, "I just wish I had a mediator that could go between God and myself." And it's that primordial cry for a savior. I just wish we had a mediator that could take me to God or bring God to me. There is that place in the middle when I think Job begins his little pity party in earnest about the old man used to listen to me and we used to have these discussions and then now the young men even make fun of me and they sing songs about me. And I just got in the midst of that. I wrote this note in my Bible actually last year and then I saw it again this year. It was this. Did what did Job really miss? Did he miss his relationship with God, or did he miss the stuff that his relationship with God brought him? Because there are moments in here when he does say that I long to see him. I long for that day. I know my Redeemer lives. I know I will see him, and I long for that. But then there are those moments when you get the feeling that, man, he is really ticked off that he know that the guys in the at the at the uh, gates of town don't listen to him anymore, and they make fun of him now, and. That's what I want back. And so it just made me, reminded me that there are many times in my life when bad things happen, am I seeking the Lord or am I seeking the things that I have lost? Does that make sense? Am I seeking my stuff to be restored or my health to be restored instead of seeking the Lord? Steve? Yeah, exactly. All right, let's go to Second Corinthians. Let me give you a timeline here. I'm not going to give you dates, but I'll give you kind of where we are. Paul starts a church in Corinth. He leaves the church in Corinth to go plant other churches. He hears about divisions. He hears about 
man with his stepmom. He hears about Lord's Supper problems. He hears about speaking in tongues problems. So he writes 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians comes back to them. He gets some words, and he thinks, I better stop by there next time I go around. And he stops by, and apparently he has a not-so-good visit. People accuse him of things. It doesn't go well. Paul leaves. He doesn't feel good about it. In fact, he feels pretty ticked off about it. So he writes a severe letter that we do not have. And then after the severe letter, apparently the Corinthians begin to walk in the ways of the Lord again. And Paul, encouraged by that, writes 2 Corinthians. Okay? So what we have here is way past 1 Corinthians. A lot of those problems are gone. And Paul is now writing to kind of clean up what happened when he was there. All right? So questions, comments. We 2 Corinthians all the way through um, chapter 5. Things you liked, questions you have. Yeah, chapter 4 and 5 is Paul. You can tell Paul is more mature in his faith, in his ministry, and he's moving towards his final days. Because in chapters 4 and 5, it's this whole, we don't lose heart, we're in jars of clay. Um, so it's stuff that, that's fragile. It's stuff that's not, that's not permanent. Uh, this body we have is an earthly tent. It's going to be destroyed. But we have a building from God, an eternal house, not built by human hands. Yeah, all of us. Yeah, he talks about in there that that uh, that we what we're going through is just a temporary thing. Um, we don't lose heart because of that. Verse sixteen is that verse that I've referenced before. Outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed. And so you need to you have to have that balance. But Paul does a masterful job of showing the frailty of the human physical body. Any of us that don't believe that, just look at doctor's reports, right? I'm allergic to dirt. How do you become allergic to dirt? That's the mold in the dirt, but it's dirt, all right? How does that happen? I mean, kind of around it a lot. Shouldn't you build up immunity to that? Wasn't allergic to dogs. I bought a dog, had a dog for 12 years. Suddenly I've become allergic to dogs, right? Our bodies are wasting away. I... uh, I told you I've been working out. I've started working out. And the first day, for some reason, I thought I could still lift what I lifted in high school. I got on the uh, leg press machine, you know, where you, you sit with your knees up and you press it. And I did not move. And it's not, it's not going to get better. I mean, our bodies don't magically take care of themselves, do they? What else in Second Corinthians? Yes. You know, this is in his section that Paul... Paul, apparently what happened when Paul went to Corinth is that somebody attacked him pretty good. Um, a church member, a fellow minister, somebody tried to discredit him, and, and it hurt Paul. And so Paul does that whole thing in verse 3 and 4 that, that, that God comforts us and that the reason we're comforted is so that we can comfort others. Um, and then verse 5 tells us, for just as sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives also through Christ our comfort overflows what he's saying is this goes back to something we've been talking about on Sunday morning because we have a savior who suffered that when we suffer we can go to him and he can comfort us in that moment and so we pour our suffering into him 
And He pours comfort into us. And then we're to use the comfort that we receive to do what? To pour that comfort into other people, to help other people through difficult times. And so it is a picture that when we, and this is Paul throughout, that when we are suffering, we are sharing in the suffering of Christ. And that his reasoning is, why should our perfect Savior suffer and we not? And so while we're on this earth, we will suffer, and it is an overflow of the fact that Christ has suffered, and our suffering is a part of his suffering. And because of that, we can draw on the power that raised him from the dead and brought greatness out of that suffering into our lives to bring comfort and renewal and peace. Is that what you're wanting to know? You're supposed to tell me these questions during the day, you know. Yeah, I'll write them again. I'll tell them that's not good. And it is the idea that, that Paul Paul does say that... that, that I mean, and you have to understand, Paul is going through suffering. And so, I mean, he's... We're going to find out in just a minute. I mean, in just a couple of chapters over, he's going to tell us everything he's been through. Uh, maybe tomorrow or the next day. I don't know when we read it. But, you know, we talk about... You know, several times he was beaten with the 40 lashes minus one because 40 lashes was inhumane, so they just gave 39. And so he, the meantime, that he'd been stoned, he'd been thrown out, he had um, been shipwrecked, he'd been out on the open sea. He had all this stuff that had happened. And so Paul is saying, listen, I've suffered tons, but in all of my suffering, the more I suffer, the more Christ comforts me. That doesn't mean he went out and looked for it. But the reality was in the midst of it, he was able to get it. He did. Yeah, Paul. Paul's an amazing man who went from the most zealous persecutor of the church to the most zealous advocate of it through whatever circumstances. I mean, at some point, I think I might have given up. After the second shipwreck, I would have said, you know, I don't know that I'm supposed to be doing this. And that is one of the dangerous things is for us to think in our American mindset that if suffering comes, then we must not be doing something right, so we need to stop what we're doing. For Paul, it confirmed that what he was doing was right. You know, I just think about in our churches or in our Christian life, if, if we receive criticism or pushback or, you know, difficulty, oh, wait, wait, okay, well, let's, 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 let's calm down, let's step back, let's, let's look at it a different way, let's think about it instead of, no, maybe what we're doing is exactly what we ought to be doing. We're not supposed to be building alliances among other people to help us increase our agenda. We're supposed to be promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that may mean that we're going to lose out at times. Y'all manage to get me on a soapbox about every week. Other things in Second Corinthians. What, what is there's, an, there's a saying that's years old. I don't know how old it goes back, but it's, that it's amazing to me that the church still is surprised when lost people act like lost people. Somehow we expect people that don't know Jesus Christ to act like they do, but they don't. That includes friends, politicians, co-workers, schoolmates. And it says that in there that Satan has blinded them, that the, the God of this age has blinded them. Yeah. Here's the thing. Can you think of a smell... That can be taken either way, good or bad, by the same person. Not by different people, but by the same person. What about flowers? 
two different scenarios. Same flowers. One's at a wedding. The other's at funeral. Same flowers, same smell, but the setting changes how they're viewed. Right? Well, for us as believers, around other believers, it's the fragrance of life. For those that are God-fearing, if you will, seeking. But for those that have been blinded, we are deaf. You know, I used Sunday morning, I used it to those that are blinded. We're like an infectious disease or an alien in this world. And so that, I think that is a, it's a, it's an amazing word picture. All right, anything else in Second Corinthians? Carol, you got anything you just walked in from anywhere? Yeah, okay. All right, Psalms, Proverbs, anything in there? Hopefully you recognized one of the Proverbs this week because I did a sermon on it about two months ago as you frantically turn your pages to try to find it. The wise see danger and take action. The fool just keeps going. He's in there. There's good stuff in there this week. Train up a child in the way he would go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What about Psalms? Anything in there? Psalms, Proverbs? I like Proverbs 22:13. The lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might get killed. Kind of come up with excuses, right? We read that tomorrow. Proverbs 22:7. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender, right? All right, let me tell you what we got ahead of us this week. We're going to be done a little early tonight. That's okay. I keep you late some weeks. We have what can some consider to be the most depressing book in the Bible. I didn't get any amens there, but right after Job, that's what you need, isn't it? More depression. Book of Ecclesiastes. So some consider that to be the most depressing book in the Bible. We'll talk about it. And we'll talk about what is the most controversial book in the Bible. Um, Song of Solomon. And... If it's not controversial, it's just because people don't read it anymore. Uh, I'll I'll bring a blog post next week that I got actually in my inbox today from one of my favorite Christian authors who has had one of his, his newest book coming out banned in Holland by Christian publishers because they say it is uh, too sensual. And we'll discuss that. And he uses as his defense Song of Solomon and says that it is nothing like that. So, All right, so Song of Solomon, that will bring us some interesting discussion next week. I don't know if we finish 2 Corinthians or not uh, in the next week. Let's see, we'll be the... No, we'll still be in 2 Corinthians next week. We'll be in 2 Corinthians for a couple of weeks. And we will be in Isaiah for the next month. After, we'll have three or four weeks of Isaiah. And then... Isaiah is one of the longest books in the Old Testament, 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. So some really good stuff, and there will be some stuff you'll have to push through in the middle. All right? And then once we get through with Isaiah, books start getting shorter. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, minor prophets to follow. We are three-fourths, is that right? Two-thirds. Two-thirds of the way through the books of the Bible. In fact, you're more than that because we've already read Psalms. So you're a little more than that, but that's a good marker. When you get to September 1st, you're two-thirds of the way through. So keep pressing. Uh, It's good to see some of you back that have missed a couple of weeks. Good to have you back. 
we're in it till the end of the year. We're in for the long haul, right? All right. Have a great week.